Welcome to Lompoc Foursquare Church's podcast. Enjoy the message. company that was growing at exponential rates, was catapulted to another level, and in one year it grossed $877 million. But then a marketing campaign took off and took it from $877 million to $9.2 billion, billion with a B. In one year. And the company had three words. And here they are. Just do it. Just do it. Now, to the deviant person or the person with their mind in the gutter or the person who wants to uh, be a criminal, this is a negative statement. But to the person who wants to become all that God intended for them to be, this is the kind of statement that takes couch potato faith Christians and makes them runners, run the race before you. And when Just Do It came out, people started to go out and buy walking shoes and running shoes and hiking shoes. People even bought sweat outfits with swishes on them with no intention of working out whatsoever, but just because they felt good and had a zipper on the front. Just do it. Just do it. So look to your neighbor right now, the right or left, front or behind, would you? And look in their eyes and say, just do it. Go ahead. Just, just do it. Some of you aren't doing it. Just do it. Just do it. Just do it. My friend and a friend of this church, Wayne Cordero, wrote a book a few years ago called Dream Releasers. And in the book, he says, the wealthiest place in the world is not the diamond mines and the Incas, the oil fields in the Middle East, not Fort Knox, and certainly not your bank account. The richest place in the world Well, in our town, you go up C Street and you make a left called the cemetery. And in his book, he says, how many dreams died? How many songs were never written? How many movie scripts were never written? How many art paintings were never painted? How many people were never invested into by the life of that person who now lay there in a box or in an urn? How many diseases could have been cured if someone would have just done it, stayed at it a little longer? And I've walked that cemetery many times. I've done graveside funerals and look at some people who live full lives over a hundred years and others who died very, very young and you, and you wonder what potential ended up in the ground. For those of you that are getting older, I would like to give you this phrase, and it's not in your notes, but you might want to write it down. It's free with the price of admission today. Regret is poor company when you're old. Regret is poor company when you are old. I spoke to a young person a few years ago. They were 
going through the motions at high school, they basically said, you know, all I got to do is show up and throw in a couple of assignments and cheat off my friend's paper and they're going to give me a diploma just like everyone else. I may not be valedictorian. I may not be top of my class, but so what? I'm going to graduate and I'll get to have my cap and gown and we'll go home and dad will make buffalo wings and drink lots of beer and he'll celebrate my graduation. And what's the difference? And I said, there is no difference. You can squeak by. You can get D's and C's and graduate. But you'll know. You, you, you'll, you'll know that God gave you a right mind, the ability to read and comprehend, the ability to articulate and, and write, the, the ability to take tests, whether it's something you really learn or you just learn for rote memory for the test. But, but God gave you incredible capacity. Your life is a terrible thing to waste. And every year, as I will again this year, be a part of the Every 15 Minutes program, I will get to speak at the retreat, the night where we take about 31 high school students, and I will tell them the story about the cemetery. And I will ask them, I always do, I've been doing it for about 16 years, and I always ask them, where's the richest place in the world? And they'll, they'll pop off with all kinds of stuff. Somebody said, you know, it was, uh, you know, uh, uh, what's her name? Uh, Jenner, what's the girl's name? Yeah. And she's got a makeup line, and she's the richest person. The Kardashians' house, you know. Somebody else is Justin Bieber's house. You know, I just listen. I know the richest place in the cemetery. They always look at me, what? How many people died with dreams inside of them, potential inside of them? And I say this statement to the high school kids, and I will say it again this year. Your life is a terrible thing to waste. James tells us, he, he jars us a little bit and says, faith with, without works is dead. You think about marriages that have died because of what people had inside of them, but they wouldn't share with their spouse. You think about young people who've lost their way because their parents wouldn't be present in the moment with them or give time to them. And I would just tell you as an old guy, well, not really old, but quasi-old, semi-old, that you cannot go back and regain what you've lost, but you can start over from here on out. One guy told me, I'm working two jobs, you know, because we want to get a new house, and, and I've been eyeing on this boat that I want to buy, and I can go out deep sea fishing and impress my friends and smoke a cigar and bring up some halibut. And I said, but what about your son? What about your daughter? What about your other daughter? One son, two daughters. What if you chase the boat? What if you chase the elusive American dream? What if you win the rat race? You know, if you win the rat race, you're still a rat. <laughs> but James is telling us that we have to take our faith and put it into action in James 2, 14 to 18, it says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds, has no works? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and, and daily food, and if one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? And in the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by is 
Yeah. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. James is upset that people who have faith in Christ aren't living like they do. He's a little bit torqued. We'll see it in just a moment. Or some sarcasm comes out of James. But if you're a note taker, write this down. Faith not accompanied by action is dead. And so I want to bring those three words back to remembrance from earlier in the message. And they are just, just, just do it. Now, quickly, we need to establish how a person gets saved. I know almost every one of you here or watching online know how people get saved. But I want to make sure, without a doubt, that we understand how we get saved. It's not by works. But there's something you must do. <laughs> and we'll talk about it in a moment. Um, if you ask the Muslim, the Muslim says you can earn your salvation if at the end of your life, the divine scale says you did more good than bad. The Hindu will tell you that you're saved. You must work over the course of your many lives to justify yourself by building up enough good karma through acts of devotion, meditation, good works, and self-control. The Buddhist teaches that salvation comes through a continuous rebirth cycle where you, through progressive meditation on Buddhist principles, are released from the notion of yourself and you finally reach a place called nirvana. And our good Mormon friends also teach that salvation comes by our good work and by following the beliefs of the Mormon church. The Bible is a good book, but you also need the Book of Mormon. And even Christians will say, in one way or another, that all salvation has something to do with your works, with earning your salvation by the way you live. We call it Jesus plus theology. You're saved by faith, but you have to look a certain way or talk a certain way or act a certain way. But true Christianity teaches that salvation is a free gift from God through Jesus Christ who dies on a cross, who spills his blood for atoning sacrifice. He pays a debt he did not owe to pay a debt I could not pay. Somebody says, I have faith in God. That's all I need to do. I, just, I have faith. Well, that's not what Romans says. And Paul is the, the, the father of salvation by grace. But in Romans 10, 9 and 10, let's read it. Would you with me, please? Ready? Go. Just do it. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's with the heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. In other words, salvation is there for us, but there is something we must do, not to earn it, but to receive it. We believe in our heart, and we confess with our mouth. Well, I'd rather not tell people I believe in Jesus. Well, get over it. <laughs> well, my faith, my faith is private. There's nowhere in the Bible that says your faith is private. It says your faith is personal. But it was not meant to be private. It was meant to be public. That's why Jesus says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. That's why Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. You can't do that by just saying, I have good thoughts about my neighbor. It's like a man says, I have good thoughts about my wife. Open your mouth and tell her what you're thinking, if they're good thoughts. <laughs> See? 
That, that, that's, why, that's why kids go to their parents and say, Good, thank you, Mom. Thank you, Dad. Th 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 thank, th thank you. Matthew 10, 32 and 33. Everyone who acknowledged me publicly here on earth, I will also, come on, acknowledge me for my Father in heaven. But everyone who denies me here on earth, yeah, that's the fruit of your faith. I know I'm going to rattle some of you this morning. I didn't write this. Jesus wrote this. He said, if you tell your friends about me, I will tell God about you. So this morning when I got up really early at dark 30, I was praying and I was reading my notes and right, right, right here, see, yellow, highlight, you know, boy, I got a lot of pages still to come. I... I was cognizant of the fact that Romans 8, the Lord Jesus was praying for me because he ever makes intercession for us, but I was cognizant of the fact that Jesus was talking to God about me. Man, that felt really good. I'm sitting in my chair, reading my notes, and it dawned on me, Friday night when we were out at Old Town, we were serving uh, at Centennial Park, we were giving out snow cones and, and, and cotton candy, and we had kids' games, and um, we had crafts, and, and we're out there. I, I see this guy, and I've seen him around. I don't know his name, but I talk to him every time I see him. I, I, I saw him at the last Old Town where we were there. I saw him at the Piper Cub Fly-In where we were serving as well. And he just kind of hovers around, and he sees our tent, people matter to God and stuff. And so I, I, I said, hey, you know, it's Friday night. I, I saw him, and I just said, hey, um, um, how are you? I keep running into you. And he goes, oh, yeah, I just think it's great what you guys do. And plus, he was eating corn, really good roasted corn. You know, he's eating his corn with all the, 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 the Mexican cheese on it, man. It's just good. Paprika, chili, you know, he's eating corn. And... Uh, I said to him, uh, do you go to church anywhere? Oh, 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 not for me, you know. And I said, um, I just want to tell you something about our church. Well, I'm not coming. I said, yeah, but I'm preaching this Sunday. Let me tell you what I'm going to speak about. No, I said, well, you can watch it online. He goes, no, no, it's not, not for me. Church is not for me. I said, okay. Well, it's not for me either, but let me tell you about <laughs> And I, I just said to this, at, at that church, the people that come to that church, the majority of them believe in their heart of hearts that Jesus Christ is Lord, and that's what I believe. And I was a Jewish kid who found Jesus as Messiah. He became my Lord. He lives in my heart, and the reason he does, he dies on a cross, and he rises again. So now this morning, while I'm praying to God... I'm cognizant of the fact that Jesus is, is talking about me, but everyone who denies me here on earth, I will also die. But, but, but I will acknowledge them before the Father. Hey, listen, when you talk to people about Jesus, Jesus talks to God about you. I hope I run to that guy again. Yeah, he'll come here one day. But what if I didn't tell him? And I couldn't stand up here and tell you my story, and I couldn't ask you to just do it if I don't just do it. So let's go just do it.
Okay. But there's more. Hang on. Number one, a faith that works is faith that works. A faith that works is faith that works. It's demonstrated by our works. See, James is very logical and says you can't see faith without works. But you can demonstrate the reality of your faith by your works. Your works is an outward sign that something has been transformed on the inside of your life. And that's what Jesus does. James 2.18 says these, these words. Let's read it. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my I will show you my faith by my deeds, and they'll know we're Christians by our love, and they'll know we're Christians by the way we serve, and they'll know we're Christians by the way we talk and by the way we act and by the way we love our spouses and love our kids and love our parents and love people that are different than us. They'll know we're Christians by faith working out of us, and perhaps Paul the Apostle None other speaks more about salvation by faith, but yet in Ephesians chapter 2, in verse 8 and 10, he says, for it is by grace you have been, come on, saved through faith, and not from yourselves. In other words, you can't save yourself. It is a gift of God, not by works, so no one can boast. You got that? But now let's read the rest. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. In other words, before the earth was formed, before you were a twinkle in your daddy's eye, God had works for you to do. And that's why when people die without doing the works of God, guess what happens? They put the richest dreams and potentials in the ground. We take our lives and we shortchange God. He transforms us, and then we live the same. Consider discipleship. Jesus calls people to follow him and become students. Sit in the front row, he says, take notes on everything that I do. Watch me. And only those who actually responded actually experienced discipleship. Think of Peter and think of Andrew. But think of the rich young ruler who said, I have too many riches. I have too many Lamborghinis and Maseratis in my garage. I have horses back in my stables. I've got a pool. I've got a boat. I've got too much to give up. I, 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 I can't follow you. And he misses discipleship because he can't let it go. Think of Nicodemus. He came slowly to the Lord, but he finally did. And think of all the miracles in the New Testament. I began to speed read some of them this week when I was studying. And I thought about that woman who, who uh, had this, this hemorrhage problem, and she was bleeding out. No doubt she was very anemic and weak. And, and she presses through the crowd, because whenever Jesus showed up, there was always a crowd, and she presses through the crowd, and he, she touches the hem of his garment, and he actually said, I feel virtue or healing flow from me to her as she reaches out and touches his prayer shawl. She didn't sit back in the sidelines and say, woe is me. 
But she took her faith and she put it into action. I, I think of all the stories about miracles, and I know I'm going to pick one out and you're going to go, woo, that's my favorite one, water and the wine. Woo! <laughs> and it says, if you read different versions of the New Testament, that Jesus said, take the water pots. And as they were going, the scripture says, the water was transforming from water into wine. As they were going, that's the works part. The woman reaching out. Jesus puts mud on someone's eyes and says, go wash now. And as he was washing, he began to see. He tells the lepers, go show yourself to the priest. And as they were going, don't think it will be any different for us. We still have to go. We still have to do. It's his faith and his power that heals us. And it's our faith in his power that heals us. But there's always something for us to do. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. You got to go, you got to move, and you got to open your mouth and preach. Love your neighbor as yourself is a verb. There's something to do. Well, I just love my neighbor so much. Lord, bless him real good. No, make them a batch of cookies and go to their house. Go mow their lawn. Go water their plants. Go bring them a plant. Be nice to them. Wave at them at least. You know, some people in Lompoc, they don't want to wave to anybody. Wave it. Well, they're doing this. Thumb exercises right here, you know, texting. I think of this story. They had a picture of the guy who gets lowered down. You want to talk about faith and works? They had faith to bring their paralyzed friend to Jesus. They come to the house where he's preaching, and they cannot get in. They could have stayed outside. Well, Lord, we pray somehow Jesus will come see us. Maybe it wasn't going to happen. I don't know who it was. One of the friends said, hey, I got an idea, guys. The other guys, you know what happened. The other guy said, what? We're going to go on the roof. Who's going to be liable for this? Who fiduciary responsibility? Come on. And I love this picture. Look how beautifully cut that rectangle is. It wasn't like that. They didn't have a Sawzall, you know. They didn't have Makita, Ryobi. They just, they, they hacked the roof down. And Jesus is in there teaching if you've seen the Father, you've seen me. If you've seen me, you've seen him. And all of a sudden, kaboosh, here comes the guy. <laughs> and they got four ropes. Just think about it. If one guy let go too soon, he's falling off the side. And in unity, in unison, in faith, they worked together and they brought the guy to Jesus. And Jesus stopped his teaching and saw their, listen, saw their faith. James says, faith is something you see. And God in the flesh sees their faith and stops and heals this guy. And they could have been outside in their prayer huddle, Lord, please help our friend, right? No, they didn't say, figure it out, buddy. You're paralyzed. Or let's have a prayer circle, kumbaya, my Lord, kumbaya. They said, we can do something. There's a lot that we can do, and God's called us to do it. He has prepared for us works before we were even here. I love what Irwin McManus says. He pastors a great church called Mosaic in Los Angeles and Hollywood, actually right now all over the world. He said, we're hard-pressed to find any story in Scripture where God becomes angry because someone had too much faith, too much determination, too much resolve. 
In Christ, there is to be more courage in us than danger ahead of us. And there are Christians all around that are risk averse. Oh my God, if I would tell anybody I'm a Christian. Try it this week and see what happens. Some people might be shocked. You are? (laughs) I never see any faith out of you or any deeds out of you. I mean, you might be. I love that old quote by Theodore Roosevelt. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the person who's actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly. So that is his place, shall never be with those cold and timid souls who never know victory nor defeat. Theodore Roosevelt. Don't let somebody criticize you for getting up and trying, for trying to do something for God, for being a risk taker. Well, I wouldn't do that if I were you. Come on. Easy for them to say, sitting back in their easy chair, drinking sweet tea. Genesis 15, 6, Abraham believed the Lord and he credited him as righteousness. See, Abraham was justified by faith, long before he offered Isaac up. You remember the story? He takes Isaac up the mountain, and Isaac says, hey, Dad, Dad, where's the sacrifice? And, and I love Abraham. He says, Jehovah Jireh, God will provide. And Isaac's saying, I sure hope so, because <laughs> it's just you and me, Dad. His obedience in offering Isaac demonstrated his faith. In James 2, verse 20 to 22, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions, come on, were working together. Let's bring the paralyzed guy to Jesus. We have faith, but we're going to get him there. Let's have faith that Jesus is going to heal my hemorrhaging body but I'm going to touch him. Let's have faith that water will turn into wine, but we are going to go from here to there like he said. See, if faith is real and genuine, it produces fruit. Abraham's faith grows into maturity, and his mature faith is seen in obedience. If you're a person of faith, this is what James says, you will obey the Lord. So I'm I'm looking on YouTube at preachers preaching about this passage of scripture, and I I come across a preacher. I mean, he's a preacher. You know, he sweats through his suit, and you know, he's a preacher. And he says, I I, I saw the Lord, he said. And the Lord's leaning back in his chair today, and he's tired. My Bible says God doesn't get tired, but it's just a sermon, you know. He said, God is God is tired. He's tired of words. He's tired of seminars. He's tired of sermons. He's tired of people reading the Bible. He's tired. He's tired. He's tired of prophetic words. He's tired of unction from the Holy Spirit. He's tired. I thought, whoa, 
how can you preach that? He's tired of people gathering, wanting to hear again from God when he's already told them so much. When he's already given them marching orders and directives and directions and dreams and visions and plans. And he went on to clean his message up by saying, oh, that the church, the body of Christ, would simply do what they already know to do and be who they've already been called to be and let faith work. I go, I'll put that in my sermon. And if anybody's mad, I didn't say it. I'm just quoting somebody. Now you and I, I know God will give us more words, and you and I know God wants us to read his word. But could you imagine if every Sunday school lesson we've ever had, every sermon we've ever heard, every article we've ever read of faith, if we live that through the fabric of our being, what our lives would be like? And I don't have this mastered. I'm still in process just like you are. I'm a little slower than some of you, actually. C.S. Lewis was once asked, what's more important, faith or works? And with that, he held up a pair of scissors. And he said, which blade is more important? That'll preach. And then James goes on, not just Abraham, the father of faith. He goes on and uses Rahab as an example. And he says in verse 25, in the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? She trusted in God so much that she risked her life, her very life. I want to possess real faith like that, don't you? If God says move, I move. If God says run, I say how fast. If God says go, I say how far. If God says jump, I say how high. I'm ready, Lord. Jesus just can't be a theory. He can't just be a religion. He must be Lord. He must be master. In James 2.19, he says, you believe that there's one God, good. And here's the sarcasm. Even the demons believe that and shudder. James is upset at some of the people that have been scattered abroad, they've lost their faith, they've lost their hope, they've lost standing on the promises, they look at the horizon, they can't see the promised land, and so they figure, hey, there's no promises. But we know that God's not a man who lies, his promises are true, and yes, and amen. And he says, don't tell me that, that, that you have faith. Don't tell me that you have faith without having works. It's like saying, I love my family very, very much. I really love them. I just don't want to be around them. I love my wife. I told her when we got married, I love my wife. If anything changes, I'll let her know. <laughs> hey, I'm curious. Any sports fans in here real? I mean, you're a sports fanatic. Come on. Sports, what team, sir? Green Bay Packers. How are they, they going to do this year, you think? Huh? They're going to win? Go to the Super Bowl? That's fake. Now, let me, let, me tell you one thing about, let me tell you one thing about Paul. This is honest truth. He's going to let me talk about him. He's not a fair weather fan. He's a Green Bay Packer fan. I know Paul for many years. This is true about Paul. Win or lose, he loves the Packers. Is that true? 
win or lose, Packers. He's a cheesehead, win or lose. <laughs> he eats brats and he watches them play. Come on. Lambeau Leap. There's Paul right there for you. We had Ray in last service, Ray Milholland. He's a Raiders fan. Now, I know some Raiders fans that became traitors, not Raiders. Because the Raiders have had some ups and down years, haven't they? We had a guy in the last service say, oh, Iowa Hawkeyes, you know, or Buckeyes. Hawkeye, no, Hawkeyes. Yeah, Hawkeyes, Hawkeyes. I said, Hawkeye was from MASH, you know. He, his wife says, yeah, our team gets mashed all the time, you know. But you know what I like about fans like Paul and Ray? I like fans who are committed, win or lose. You know, I know some Christians that are fans of Jesus. When things are going well, hallelujah, Lord. Praise the Lord. Life is good. And when life's not good, they back away. Start looking down on the ground, wonder why God is so mean and so cruel. How could God allow this to happen? Listen, I think James is contending for people that are committed to faith. That's the second point that's so important. Faith that works is a faith for the whole life, your whole life and all of your life. It must move through every aspect, every minute of every day. You're not just a fair weather fan. You're a person that says, I believe in God no matter what I see. I trust in the Lord with all my heart. I lean not on my own understanding, but in all my ways, I acknowledge him. Every dollar, every penny, every gift, every ability, every relationship, every success, every failure. If our faith is real, if our faith is a faith that truly leads to salvation, then our whole selves, mind, body, and spirit are given over to Christ. And then James uses this great illustration in chapter 5, verse 7 and 9. He says these words. Will you read them with me? Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and, 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 <laughs> because the Lord's coming is near. Stand firm. I read the word patient in there a couple of times, and I don't know about you, I'm not all that patient. Anybody else? Come on. We're not all that patient. And he's talking about the farmer. Two times in the year, the autumn rain, the spring rain. And you wait in between. And you toil the ground. I have actually gone out and watched as they work on the fields and seen the disc machines that disc up the dirt. Then they come back with these little seedling plants. You ever, they're not very big at all. Now, they're not waiting for autumn and spring rain because right now they'd be waiting a long time. But they lay the pipe. You ever seen them lay pipe out there? And most of the pipe never go together exactly right because they leak. And I saw some guy out there working. He had boots up to here. He was covered with mud, getting sprayed as he's hooking the pipes on. And they sent him out there to believe that that water is going to cause the crop to produce and there's going to be a harvest. He, he waits, the farmer does, with reasonable hope and expectation for the reward. There's patience. That's why the Lord tells us, don't grow weary in doing well. You will reap, uh, does anybody know? A harvest in the right season, in due time. 
He waits despite changing circumstances and uncertainties. He waits encouraged by the value of the harvest. He doesn't sit on his porch and say, well, let there be harvest. No, isn't it interesting? James says, you, you want to think about faith and works? Think about a farmer. We live in agricultural area. Just think about how much work it takes to produce those beautiful, sweet strawberries that we love. Or that good lettuce that's when you break the head open, there's a crispness to it. And you put your favorite dressing on it. It just, it's good. And even broccoli, ooh, some of you don't like broccoli, is the Lord's gift to us. See, we may live in a world of instant gratification, but there's nothing fast about living out a faith that works. Nothing fast about it. The farmer knows his calling. He's a farmer. And isn't it interesting, James identifies him. He doesn't say a worker goes out and does work. He says, no, this farmer has a specific calling in his life. And here's what I want you to hear me say. I believe everybody here and everybody listening to this message has a distinct calling on their life. And your calling's not mine and mine is not yours. But we have to just... Well, good boy. Okay. <laughs> we have to just what? Just do it. James 1.22. Do not merely, let's finish it, listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do, just do, just do what it says. I've got three last points. We're going to get you out. Don't worry. I'm going to give them to you, not talk about them. I just want to give them to you. True acceptance of God's word is only proved by doing what we claim to accept. That's a great one. True acceptance of God's word, I believe it, is only proved by doing what we claim to accept. Religion is worthless when we fail to do God's word. Worthless. Faith is not faith if it does not work. Another day, another story, another man, he tells me this, I'm a non-practicing Catholic. Really? And I said, I'm not critical, I just don't know what you mean. He goes, well, I'm a Catholic, I don't go to Mass, I don't pray the Rosary, and I don't do confession. Yeah, then you're not a Catholic. No, no, non, non-practicing. Then somebody else says, I'm a practicing Catholic. Oh, we know what that means. Why can't you just say I'm a Catholic? How about this one? I'm, I, I've heard it. Uh, I'm a non-practicing Christian. Here, here's how I've heard it. I'm a Christian, but I don't go to church, and I don't tithe, and I don't read my Bible, I don't pray, but I'm a Christian. What do you believe? Jesus is Lord. And then you want to lean in. Come on, don't you want to lean in? Does it change how you live? Does it make you any different? Well, I just want to blend in. Okay. Keep blending. Well, you know what I said to him? Aren't you glad there was a day that somebody decided not to blend in and tell you about Jesus? Aren't you glad there was a day that somebody invited you to church? Aren't you glad there was a day that you walked into some coffee shop, some Bible study? Aren't you glad that, that your mama or your daddy or grandma 
took you by the hand. Where are we going? We're going to Sunday school. Oh, I don't know. I don't care. You're going. I want to stay in the sanctuary in color. Color. No, we got kids' ministries off the charts here, man. Oh, my kid is sacred. You know, some mama said, well, my kid don't want to go to Sunday school. I said, really? How old are they? Six. Who runs the house at your house? <laughs> so I leaned down. And I said to the boy, what are we going to have for lunch? He says, what we're going to have for lunch. Mama says, yeah, we're gonna, that's what we're going to have. So who's in charge of the house? He's six. <laughs> he gets to tell you if he's going to Sunday school or not. He's six. He goes, well, should I make him go? Are you kidding me? <laughs> He's six. <laughs> mama, mama, God gave you a gift. What is that? To be his mother and tell him what to do. <clears throat> he still don't go to Sunday school. So, be a practicing Christian, will you? That's what James says. Last story and I'm done. It's true, I'm done. Last story. And then closing prayer. Be quick, I promise. Oh, our tummies are growling. Lord, yeah. So the story is told about Duck City. I was going to bring my duck call to remind you of a recent message, but Duck City, everybody's a duck in Duck City. And so all the ducks waddled the church. They came to the duck church. The duck choir got in position. They had robes on. They were singing songs, swaying to the music, kind of like something out of a you know, Disneyland. And the duck band got up there, and the duck, duck uh, conga maracas player got up there. The duck bass player is from Colombia. He was playing, you know. <laughs> and, and all the ducks were together. And the pastor duck got up and said, I have a word from the Lord from Isaiah 40 that, that God gave us wings. We got a left wing and a right wing, and I'm not talking about political stance. He said, we got wings, we can soar. Oh, the places we could go, he said. Oh, the places we can go, we can soar. And they all said, preach it, preacher, preach it, preacher. And he said, I'm going to preach it. We're all ducks, but God has an adventure for us out there, and we're going to soar for the Lord. They all waddled out and waddled down the street and went to their duck houses, ate their duck food. They watched duck movies on Netflix. <laughs> and they waddled back to church the next week. And he said, my sermon is We Can Soar Part 2. And they all waddled out and waddled home. And five years later, he's up there preaching. I have a word from the Lord. And they said, preach it, preacher. And they all said in unison, just do it. We can soar. And they all waddled out and waddled home and lived their waddle lives. And all the rest of the people in Duck City waddled around and wondered if they would ever soar. Huh. In conclusion, don't be a duck. There's no more time for waddling, folks. Old age and regret. Regret's not good company. Time is ticking. Lives need touching. 
People need to see Jesus in us. We need to let the Holy Spirit transform us from the inside out so we can soar. Now, usually, I tell you a little prayer at the end, or I pray a little blessing, and uh, our prayer team's going to be down here by the cross and over here, because some of you need prayer after a message like this. I'm serious. I usually say, may the Lord be with you. But here's my prayer and benediction. May you go be with the Lord. He's out there working. He's working in City Hall. He's working in our fire station, our police department, our schools as they get ready for kids to go back to school. He's working on the base. He's working in your neighborhood. He's working in counseling centers. He's working at Home Depot. Go be where he is. Go use your faith and your works together and do what God is already doing. And let's soar. Go be with the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Please visit us at mylfc.com for more information about our church. Thank you so much for listening.